On this week's episode of This Week in College Football, brought to you by CFB Talk Daily, we will be talking some week three games. We're going to look forward to some of the week four games. We have a special guest picker for this week's games, so you're definitely going to want to stay in for that one. And we're going to answer some questions that are submitted by the fans. So after we get all into that, we'll catch you guys on the other side. Welcome back to another edition of This Week in College Football, brought to you by CFB Talk Daily. Today is Friday, September 20th. That means we are a week away from another college football game, video game that is, but we'll touch on that later in the episode. We're going to start with last week's games. Uh, We're going to start it off with the only conference matchup that actually wasn't a conference game for some reason is the Wake UNC. Did you see that, how that game wasn't considered an ACC game? What do you mean? For some reason, and I don't know why, this game does not count on either of their conference records. Oh, I think it was because they didn't play each other in their like uh, conference schedule, so they, they scheduled each other as an out-of-conference game, but it's technically in-conference. I don't know. Yeah, it's it, weird. It's a weird big wraparound. So we'll talk about that game first. Uh, so, John, what, what, are, what were your notes on that game? Anything you saw that stood out? Uh, I, I know Sage Surratt uh, broke a first-half receiving record for a week. Uh, he's pretty good. His brother plays for UNC. Um, that was a great game, though. I really liked that um, it was Pat McAfee commentating it. I love him uh, commentating. Uh, did, did you watch any of that or no? No. I, for a lot of the games Saturday, I was uh, I was at the uh, Virginia Florida State game. Oh, I, was dri- I was driving on Friday, so my Friday and Saturday were taken up by the Florida State-Virginia game in some context. No, yeah, I, I know that. I don't know why I asked. Um, but so we're actually going to slide over for the first introduction. Uh, we have our guest, uh, I guess, analysis guy here, uh, Alex. I know he actually wanted to talk about this game. Alex, what did you see from the Wake Forest-UNC uh, game? Uh, well, I did see that. Well, first things first, I do like how, John, you mentioned uh, Surratt, the linebacker on UNC, who actually had a couple tackles. You know, he, had, he does get some significant time and does make some plays. Uh, and another thing I noticed from UNC, even though they didn't end up getting the win, was that uh, Howell can throw. He can sling the ball. 17 for 28, 182, two touchdowns. The line's a little rough for UNC because Howell was sacked five times. Uh, but then you go over to Wake Forest, and the receiving core is, 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 is just lights out. Sage Surratt is good. Nine, rece- nine, uh, nine catches for 169 yards. And a touchdown. Nice. He had that. He had that 151-yarder. Uh, and then you got Washington with two two receptions with 31 yards. That was good. Newman from under center. He went 14 for 26, 214. Uh, and that's just that's just overall a solid night. You know, split it in half. One TD, one interception. But that's just when you have guys in the receiving core that are you know that explosive, that electric. You know, a guy going one one and one. And taking a sack, just a sack with that O-line, is good enough. I would have liked to have seen uh, better rushing. You know, Walker, you had Walker, Newman, and Beal Smith that got some carries. But none of them went over uh, 100 yards. You know, solid nights, they're acceptable, especially with Newman under center. But both both teams running the ball were, were not good. And obviously UNC running the ball would not have been that good because their line really did struggle. Uh, as I said before, Howell got sacked five times. But overall, uh, I did not notice that it was a, it was not a conference game, and I do find that weird 
But overall, as a game, it, it had me on the edge of my seat, and it was it was really, really fun to watch from start to end. It, uh, uh, very close game uh, at the end. Wake Forest just pulled it off. They actually scored once, and it was a field goal with about a minute and a half left to go in the fourth quarter, and that was about it. UNC was definitely uh, teasing all of us. I was, I'm was i full I'm pulling for Mac Brown always because Mac Brown's my boy. Loved him when he was at Texas. Love him now. And uh, I hated to see UNC lose. I'm not saying I'm a UNC guy, but, you know, I, I always pull for Mac Brown. Other than that, great game. Uh, but I would like to see, rushing-wise, both teams do a little better and work on uh, on O-line needs needs to step it up for UNC. Because if, if Howell keeps getting hit and he can't throw as much as you'd like him to, then UNC's going to have themselves a long year. and Mac Brown's going to regret coming back, that's for sure. All right, so we're going to jump into Saturday now. Uh, we're going to talk about one game that actually stood out to me, and I had this weird feeling that it was going to be a close game, and that's the Penn, uh, Penn State pit game. Uh, you know, weather obviously had a factor in that game. Yeah, it was uh, very bad weather. Lots of rain. Yeah, and I mean, this is like the first time in a while, really, that I feel like we've seen Kenny Pickett play well. I mean, 372 yards, but I mean, no touchdowns, no interceptions. I mean, no interceptions, obviously, nice, but no touchdowns, um, 35 completions. So uh, I'm not sure if you saw that. I'm almost positive you probably did see the end of the game. Uh, where they were, four, they were fourth and one on Penn State's one. Oh, I, I did see that actually. I did. I did. Oh, they I did. decided to kick the field goal. They actually doinked off the post, and then post game, uh, Pickett actually said that he kind of doesn't understand why they did that. Now, to me, I kind of feel like that's you're kind of showing up your coach right there. Uh, I get that you're like a lead. You're obviously the leader of the team, being the quarterback. Uh, Kind of, I guess, his third year starting, even though he started the end of his freshman year. But, um, and what, what were your, like, what's your opinion on that? Like, him coming out and saying, like, oh man, we should have went for it. Like, I trust my guys. And uh, Narduzzi has actually doubled down and said that it was still the right idea yeah. for them to go for the field goal situation. And I kind of get what he's saying. Uh, I think you're both wrong. Not gonna lie. Who? You, you and Narduzzi. I'm on Kenny Pickett's I, side. I, I think you go for it because uh, hold on, uh, Pitt was losing momentum at an insane rate. They got a, a Paris Ford interception right before that that would have stopped Penn State from scoring, but it got called back and Paris Ford had a huge return. So I think you try to gain some momentum back by going for it, not kicking the field goal. No, I d- I definitely agree with that aspect. Like you know they they weren't really moving the ball exceptionally well all game. Like, this was probably going to be their last shot to score a touchdown. But yeah. then again, like, you you need at least 10 points to win that game from that time forward. So, you know, if you have confidence in your defense, get your three and then hope you get the ball back and score. But, like, it's kind of like a catch-22, you know. Like, if, if they went for it and then didn't get it, everyone would be saying, oh, why wouldn't we take the points? No, yeah, just, just whatever your mentality as a coach is, I think I would have went for it, but – I could see getting three, trusting your defense. No, Drew's a uh, defensive guy. I feel like if that was Lincoln Riley or someone, they probably would have went for it. But Narduzzi having mm-hmm. a defensive coordinator background, I don't think he, – he's a trust his defense kind of guy. All right, so we're going to stay in the ACC real quick. Uh, talk about the boys at Georgia Tech. 
Big loss to the Citadel, who ran the triple option all game on them. Uh, that is not great, not only for the Georgia Tech program, but the look of the ACC. The ACC had a really bad weekend. Yeah, uh, I don't think this loss was actually a big deal at all. Um, Georgia Tech switching. They have a lot of option players trying to play in a pro-style offense, which is going to be a hard transition. Um, although Furman, one Furman, almost beating an entire Virginia Tech team, that was a bad look. Yeah, and then like that, you know, those two games were like the ACC are, is already getting plummeted, like plummeted right now with a lot of hate for how weak it is. And then to lose to those two teams, like that's not that's not the best case scenario. Like I know last week, a lot of ACC fans were actually like accepting Maryland back into the ACC because other than Clemson, that's all they had, and they were like, oh, they were they're withdrawing the Maryland logo into like the ACC brand. Hmm. And then look what Maryland went did. I, we'll talk about that one right now because you're talking about it. Uh, Maryland, I think this was their fourth straight loss uh, while being ranked. No, it was. I saw that stat. I actually had a Temple player tell me before the game that it was going to be a shootout, and uh, the, it was, they were probably he felt confident they were going to win. Um, take that for what it's worth. I don't really, I don't think he was going to say, "Oh, we're going to get blown out," but he did say they were going to win. Yeah, I mean, even if you look at Maryland's like stats, like Josh Jackson did not have a day. I mean, you fifteen thirty eight, one hundred eighty three, coming off of his first two weeks. Where he lit it up. So yeah, me and uh, was, is Matt, me, Oh my bad. You're good. No, nah, me good. and uh, Matt were talking about this, and um, he just could not place a football. He was so bad because like, we both bet on that game, and he was throwing the ball like even in the flats. He was hitting receivers like in the legs, like something. He was, it looked like he was hurt. And then Harrison Hand, he probably should have had three interceptions for Temple. Only had I think one. But two went right through his hands. So Josh Jackson was making a lot of bad decisions, putting the ball in the wrong spot. Yeah, uh, I, I I think that uh, this was the Jackson that I saw. I remember when we did our ACC review, I said that I wasn't really sold on him because of what I saw from him at uh, Vitech. So the first two weeks, he kind of proved me wrong. I bet he was in the locker room saying, "Yeah, Matt from CFP talked to LAX, you get." Uh, but this was, you know, this is the quarterback that I saw against Pitt two years ago. Uh, let, let's actually jump into a game that I know you're going to be passionate to talk about. Is uh, this University of Central Florida plummet like doing a work on Stanford? Uh, yeah, I think UCF is showing that they're probably a top ten team in the country. I think they're better than Michigan. I think Michigan just gets because they're in a, such a good conference, they just get a bump. I think UCF would beat Michigan. I think they'd beat Auburn. Um, yeah, I feel like people just sleep on them. Uh, the Stanford team, obviously not as good as Stanford teams in the past, but they're still no slouch. I mean, they should have better alignment than UCF, but UCF really like dominated the trenches all game. And they had um, what's the quarterback's name. I forgot. Dylan Gabriel is an animal. Yeah, I mean, his stat line, 22 of 30, 347 with four touchdowns. So so while I have Alex sitting here, I'll ask him, what are not just in this game in general, but what are your thoughts on CF and, and them claiming a national championship? Like, are they as good as they claim they are? Like, what what are your thoughts? Well, uh, I think previously in, in other seasons, they haven't played as tough a schedule as you would think. But 
you know, this year when you when you're taking down teams like Stanford, right? And Stanford's always known for their defense, especially their linebackers, you know. And you're running the football. Uh, Dylan was slinging the ball all over the place. You're holding up. They only gave up. Well, they gave up 27, but you don't usually expect UCF to give up that many points, you know. And the receiving core is great. Mixon, 5 for 88. Williams, 3 for 73. Uh, seven different guys have catches, and you, you're just you're, you're distributing the ball throughout the place. Dylan Gabriel is doing the job. I do think that personally, although that they don't play the schedule as, as, as stronger as teams that, that – you know, like Georgia and Alabama, you know, Alabama doesn't. The teams that are in front of them. The teams that are in front of them, especially the, you know, 16 other teams are not better than UCF. I mean, right now they're ranked 17 currently, and I don't see them as the 17th best team. I would move them up higher, at least top 15, closer to 10. And, you know, like 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 John said, he they're, they're definitely a team that can make some noise this year and, and get into a higher, higher end bowl and uh, definitely compete for a national championship but they really really you know they're um clean some stuff up there is some stuff that you would see like the passing game they did give did give up a solid amount of yards um i think their d-line did a great job containing stanford's run game but other than that uh ucf seems to be a clean team and they can definitely compete in the future for a national championship so now going back to like the quarterback play uh, obviously gabriel through three weeks has had He's Pete Wimbush out now. I, I hear you're texting. What did you say? You were just on. You were just texting or something. Uh, yeah, I was looking something up for the stat. Yeah, why? <laughs> no, I can hear you like banging on your phone. That's okay. I'll just. Oh, my, my bad. My bad. Sorry. That's cool. All right, so back to the quarterback play. Cause we were just talking about Gabriel. Uh, obviously through three weeks he's beat out Wimbush. He's proven that he's the starter. Going forward, you know, if Mackenzie Milton comes back and he's healthy, who who do you play in that situation? You know, you have the guy who made this program what it is, or you know, do you go, you know, with the hot hand? Uh, you're talking about Milton? Is that what you're yeah, saying? me. Milton comes back. Yeah. Well, I mean, he's probably out this year. I don't think he'll play again, honestly. But if he does come back next year and play. Uh, I feel like his injury is going to limit his abilities too much to where they'll probably go with Gabriel. Just that's just my well, opinion. Here's, I, I, that is no, and I definitely agree. But the reason why I I see it as a problem is that there's two big things that 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 play into this. Uh, he's coming off a big right, so obviously season-ending injury is not not really going to really helping you in your favor and to try coming back and and spot. Dylan Gabriel is a freshman, and through three weeks he has he has used like you said beaten out Wimbush and has now put up like insane numbers against solid teams. So if you want to come back and beat out a guy that his first year looks like he's going to absolutely ball out, then you have the odds stacked against you. I, if I had to choose right now, who could probably be who would be starting next year? Uh, I'm going with Dylan Gabriel. I see Milton having no shot. No disrespect to, to Mackenzie Milton. He has he's made UCF the program that it is now. He really, honestly, with the way he played the last couple of years, he has put them on the map. But Dylan Gabriel, and with the way he's been playing, it seems like never giving that spot up for the next couple of years. Yeah, I think that kind of like just to add my two cents real quick. 
this it kind of was like a situation with at South Carolina with uh, Jake Bentley. You know, you have a guy who's built your program, or you know, when he comes back, you're gonna give it to Helsinki, who's probably gonna be, you know, your guy going forward. So that if I'm UCF, I'm gonna you know I'm gonna keep Gabriel in because you know next year. Uh, Milton comes back. Let's say he's you know as good as he was prior, and that's a lot coming back off his knee injury. Now you're kind of like taking a year away from uh, Gabriel's development. You know, you know, so you can either keep moving forward. All right, so like John just said, um, he has to go do some stuff, so he's not going to be able to stick around. So it's just going to be me and Alex for the rest of the episode. Uh, so we're going to do week four, and the first game we're going to talk about uh, is actually one that we ended kind of talking about in uh, week three recap. Uh, we're going to talk about Utah-USC. Alex, what are your predictions, Utah-USC? Um, I see Utah as, as an overall well-structured team. USC is definitely uh, struggling. Helton's on the hot seat, and my prediction with him is that he'll be gone in uh, at least October. If not, then, um, you know, in, uh, early November. Um, again, like I I don't think Slovis is a is a is an, a bad quarterback. He's just there's a lot of 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 you know rough areas that you. Yeah, need he's to a run. true he's a true freshman. And right, yeah. Right. But you know, and with coaching, with the right coaching, yeah. then you can you can definitely fix that and improve that. However, as long as Clay Helton is the coach of USC, I I see that program is doomed. It's not the right fit for him. It's not the right fit for that offense. And I I don't see this being really a close game. Maybe 20 points, uh, and I see Utah, who overall as a team is just well structured right now and seems to have some momentum uh, as their season's going on along to get uh, a, a quite easy win here. Yeah, I agree with you with, with most of the things you said. I, I don't know if it'll be a 20 point win for Utah. I think Utah will win, uh, maybe like a you know 16 point win. Uh, but back to hell and you know. This isn't just a game where, you know, this isn't a regular game for him. He's not just coaching to go out there and coach a football game and try to win. He'd be lying if he told you he didn't know his job is on the line. Uh, he's been on the hot seat pretty much since last season's ended. I've said for a while that he'd be gone the first week of October. And, I mean, with the way, you know, he loses this game to Utah. It doesn't get any easier the rest the you know, next couple of weeks because then they go at Washington where, you know, Playing that Washington is never an easy thing for anybody, especially a team that's struggling. And if he makes it through that week, then they go to Notre Dame. And you know, next three weeks for him, you know, if he's even there for the next three weeks, it's it's definitely going to be a challenge. And you you got to look at who he's playing, the court, the overall uh, uh, quality of his team, especially like I said before that offense, and really if that defense can hold up for him. You know, they've kind of obviously they've struggled, uh, especially the, the past defense. And I really do believe that uh, it really won't hold up for him. And Helton will be gone probably after the Notre Dame game. I'm not saying Notre Dame is a powerhouse that's going to put up 60, 65 points on you, but they're a better team than USC, in my opinion. And, and they're going to show it on the field. I'd, I'd be surprised, honestly, if he, if he loses this week and loses next week to Washington, I wouldn't be surprised if a move is made then. Uh, I, I don't know if he sees Notre Dame if they lose the next two weeks, especially if one of them is a, a you know, bad loss. If, if Utah is a 20-point loss plus. You know. Well, here's the reason why I think that. Um, you just had your athletic director in Lynn Swan 
leave the program. So I feel that if when you're bringing in a new AD, they don't want to be so quick. And when I say like that quick to jump the gun, then I just feel like it wouldn't happen after Washington. If they lose big to Washington, uh, and I'm talking like Washington puts up 55 on them, then yes, then yeah. he is gone for sure. Yeah. But if USC puts up a fight, loses, starts 0-4, but off a, off a game that they lost by 6 well they, well, they beat Fresno. And Stanford. Oh, so they're right. two wins, oh, I'm sorry. They're 2-0. Or no, not 2-0. They're 2-1, I believe. Yes. All right. I'm, I apologize for that. But um, I would say that after Washington, big loss, he's gone. Um, close game, no. Now, I just want to make one last point. And you, you did bring up a great point with the AD not trying to be too trigger happy. But there's always a, like the other side of it where when you know there's going to be a new AD walking into a situation like this. They're going to want their guy to be the coach. It's kind of like a general manager in, the, in you know, the NFL. When a new GM comes in, if the head coach of that team is kind of struggling, they're going to get fired because they want to bring in their coach. So you know, new AD at USC, he's not going to maybe want to have, or he or she's not going to want to have Clay Helton's baggage with them. That's why I could see Helton getting fired. So they really start the page fresh. Uh, so we're going to move to another huge game. Not only for just the week, just playoff implications. Uh, Michigan at Wisconsin. Uh, for me, I think that this is a game of you know two teams that are at completely different sides of their season so far. Michigan, they look, you know, the score looks like they piss pounded Middle Tennessee State, but for a while that was a close game. They went to overtime with Army, who they had no business going into overtime with. I know Army is a good team, but at the end of the day, you're Michigan. And I had that same grudge against Oklahoma last year, so I'm not just being one-sided right now. Um, so they're they're struggling, but then you look at Wisconsin. They've outscored their opponents 110 to nothing so far. Jonathan Taylor has looked as bit, or probably even better than advertised coming off his you know, stupendous year last year. Uh, I think this is two teams that one team being completely in stride as Wisconsin is, to a team like Michigan, who's still trying to find the rhythm, uh, I think that Wisconsin wins this game. Uh, if, if Michigan plays the way they've played so far this year, I don't see it being a particularly close game, even though Wisconsin doesn't have you know, the offense against you know, the other Big Ten teams to put up 50 points. I, don't, I wouldn't be surprised if their, de- if their defense holds Michigan to under 13 points and the offense at least puts up 28. Yeah, I, I definitely agree with that. Look, Mich- uh, Michigan is is definitely they they they're two and zero, right? And with, that's all that ma- that that's what matters, right, in the long run. But uh, when you when you think about it, Wisconsin is so much entire like entirely better than Michigan. It is absurd. Michigan has had doubts going into this year, and when you look at how that they're how they're coached and how they really play. People question Jim Harbaugh's spot as the, as the coach in the long run, and in the, as the and as the, that's me saying it as a Jim Harbaugh guy. Um, there's been questions for his his job in the past. There's been questions for his job uh, in now. And if you continue to have these close games with these unranked teams that are solid competition, then it just doesn't. It might not be a good fit for Harbaugh to move on with Michigan in the future. I'm not saying you fire him the next time they lose by three or win by three to, you know, uh, East Tennessee State or whatever. 
But Wisconsin is the fourth highest scoring team in the country right now. Now it's not against the, against the best competition, but you have Taylor and you have Cone, who's just throwing – he's slinging the ball everywhere. I mean, last game, 363 yards, 26 for 33. So seven incompletions with three touchdowns, right? Taylor was a beast with three touchdowns, 102 yards. And and I, I personally don't think that Michigan's – although regularly their D-line is that good, I, I don't think they're going to be able to ha- handle the run this time. And as for Michigan um, and Shea Patterson, he's the most bipolar quarterback I've ever seen. Shea Patterson will come out and have a solid week and go 20 for 25 with two touchdowns. Last week, 19 for 29 with nothing. Only a bit over 200 yards, which is, is, is okay. You know, but it, it's not Michigan good. And that's what you expect from a guy starting in the Big Ten at a school, especially as a second-year starter. And I, I don't see Michigan winning this game. I see Wisconsin's defense, who is obviously first in the country after the last two weeks they've had uh, in points per game allowed. And I, I just don't see Michigan coming close to winning this game. Wisconsin will win this easy. And uh, Jim Harbaugh will be, as a guy who loves Jim Harbaugh, and to hate to say this, Jim Harbaugh will be scratching his head most of the game. All right, so we're actually we're going to jump down into some SEC ball. Uh, this is a pretty big game uh, for Auburn. So we got Auburn and Texas A&M. Uh, Alec, what are your thoughts on this game going into the week? This is a big week for uh, Auburn specifically. Uh, well, yeah, coming coming off a loss, Bo Nix definitely has to revamp the uh, revamp the troops, right? Number number eight in the country is is good, you know. But you expect uh, you know, number eight to come out and and really win this game against 17 A&M. You know, A&M's defense is 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 all right, but you you definitely expect Auburn to to be revamped, come out, score more points with Bo Nix. Bo Nix, I know he's a freshman, I get it, but that kid can play, and he needs to step up and be a leader, uh, unlike he was last week. But I see I see Auburn winning this game, but it's a close game because this is a good game, right? A&M is good, Mond is good, Spiller's good. Spiller can carry the ball. Last week, 116 yards off of only 14 carries with two TDs. So, you know, that might be something for Auburn to look out for. Um, usually Auburn's uh, secondary is better than their D-line. And I would like to see Auburn really contain Spiller and and go on from there and just let Bo Nix take care of the rest. Yeah, I've had this, this take on A&M for a while, especially since I watched the end of their season last year. Uh I actually earlier on in the winter said that I had A&M as a dark horse team to make the playoffs. I think that they might honestly end up going down as one of the best eight win teams of all time. I, I think A&M is such a good team, but their schedule is so unforgiving. I mean, you look at it, you got Alabama, Mississippi State, Georgia, LSU. I mean, there's nowhere to hide. I mean, you play two, three, four. You are, you are definitely and, a sitting duck. And you're that. playing eight right now. Right. But – uh, with that being said, um, Auburn probably has a top three defensive line in the country this year. All seniors. Uh, Knicks at times has looked great. Uh, at times in the Oregon game, kind of disappeared. He came alive at the end of the game. But, you know, first career start, first ever game. Right. Kyle, you know, 18 there's year old there's flashes with Bo Nix, but there's, more, there's definitely more good than bad, and that's a good sign that someone who's a true freshman starting. Yeah, and then, you know, like I was saying uh, – Auburn 
their defense has been there so far. They've looked well. Offense, when it's had to be, showed up. Uh, but I don't know. My gut is just saying to me that playing at College Station, 12th man, Kellen Mond, uh, I think he's a very good quarterback. I, I think that A&M squeaks this one out. Uh, A&M actually is favored in this game, three and a half. I think that's probably a very accurate line. Uh, I think that stadium is going to be, obviously the stadium is going to be sold out. It's going to be bumped. That's a terrible environment for an 18-year-old kid to play in. Not many people play well in that situation, uh, especially as a true freshman. Uh, I would imagine this is his first SEC start. Uh, A&M, like I said, they're a talented team. They just play a tough schedule. I think we're going to see the true A&M this week. I think they're going to look really well. So we're going to jump down to probably the biggest game this weekend um, for playoff implications. This is actually probably the, yeah, this is the biggest game to date right now for the playoff. Uh, we got Notre Dame playing Georgia. And this, this for, for a lot of different reasons is big. Uh, starting with Notre Dame, Notre Dame wins this game. They went out. That's an easy way for them to be able to say, you know, we beat the number three team in the nation. We should get in the playoffs. That's fair. But for Georgia, I've said for such a long time that even if Georgia has one loss after the SEC championship game, that they deserve the bid to the playoff. But if Georgia struggles this week and loses and then ends up playing in that SEC championship game and losing again to Alabama, that would give them two losses. And I don't see in any circumstances that a two-loss team gets into the playoffs over a one and probably two-loss team. Busy, bro. I can drive home. I can drive home. Come on, Mom. Um, yeah, I... I... I kind of forgot what you said. I don't know if you picked Georgia or Notre Dame. Did you pick Georgia? You did. I, I haven't truthfully decided yet. I'm I'm waiting for to hear what you have to say, honestly. Uh, well, looking at it now, Georgia's the favorite. Um, and that's honestly, that's what I expected. Um, Georgia, as a whole, seems like, although they are a, a, a well-gifted offense, they seem like a, a, a solid defensive team. But I, I do see an offensive standout from this from this game, and that's Jake Fromm. Jake Fromm is one of my favorite players in the country, and, and last week he proved it again that he's probably one of the best. 17 for 22 with three touchdowns and 280 yards uh, throwing. Um, I think that, that this is going to be a very close game, though. I think Georgia's going to win, but a close game. Uh, Book and Fromm are, are, in my opinion, two totally different quarterbacks. Fromm likes to stand. Book likes to run a little bit. All right, scramble. Definitely not as much as um, from Virginia, uh, Bryce, um, Perkins. Bryce Pickens. Perkins. <laughs> and I, I definitely see Book and Fromm in a shootout. You know, this is going to be an offensive game, uh, although both defenses are, are okay. Um, this is going to be a game that, you're, that is high scoring, that you're going to want to see both quarterbacks when they, when they step on the field. But I do have Georgia coming out in the end. It might end, it might be in the final minute. It might come down to a field goal. I don't know. All I know is that I will be glued uh, on Saturday at 8 o'clock, and it will be watching this game. So it's actually the perfect transition into our questions. Uh, before we get to the questions, 
I would just like to make notice that we started recording this, and Alex, like literally two minutes before, was like, hey, can I come on? So if he has some blindside from these questions, he doesn't have the time of notice to look into research like, like me and John typically do. So we have to, you know, cut him some slack on that. But the first question we're going to follow up with the Georgia game talk was uh, from uh, Morning Cup of Joe. His question was, uh, does Georgia cover? And Georgia right now is a 14-and-a-half-point favorite. Uh, I know, Alex, you said that was going to be a close game, so you don't think they cover 14-and-a-half. No, I don't think they cover 14-and-a-half. Like I said, this is going to be a, a closer game than people think. right? Georgia has a better offense, but, I mean, Book can sling it too, and he can run. He had five touchdowns last week. Um, and I really do think that both offenses can showcase what they have this week, and it's going to be a lot closer than 14 and a half. Uh, see, I'm, I'm on the other side of this because, uh, no, I know Nolan, big Notre Dame guy. Uh, he's been on the podcast a few times with us. He writes for us. I just think George is a much better team right now. I think there's ways that Notre Dame can limit them. If they keep, uh, if they keep, uh, from, uh, on the ground. They limit his pass, but I still I think Georgia's a team that could beat you on the ground too. You know, it, it's kind of pick your poison. So I think they cover 14 and a half. Uh, also, if people want to look at some other bets, I know that game is uh, 58 over under. I would probably go the over on that. I think this is going to be a high offensive game. So our next question is from Pop Ad OT. Uh, he wants to know LSU's chances on making the playoffs this year. And my answer to you is that I think they control their own destiny at this point. Uh, the big win against Texas obviously showed that they are not a joke this year. The offense actually is, is around, unlike last year. Uh, obviously, they still have to get through Alabama. Uh, and that's never an easy feat for any team. Uh, so obviously, then, then they would also have to presumably beat Georgia in the SEC championship game. But then that, you know, leads the other question. If they have one loss and Georgia doesn't have any, who gets in the playoffs? You know, that goes back to that topic. But I think LSU, as of right now, controls their own destiny. You know, they went out and, you know, they saw, they have a couple good teams on the schedule. If, you know, you got Florida, even though they don't have Felipe Franks. But if they went out, uh, I think that they should get in the playoffs, especially if they win the SEC. So that's my answer. They control their own destiny. Yeah, I'm going to have to agree with you. I'm definitely going to have to agree with you there. Um, you know, like you said, they control their own destiny. They are a team that, that definitely does, is, is shaky at some times, but they have come out strong this year, and I like the way that Joe Burrow plays. Um, Edwards Hilaire is there. He's a good running back, and I feel like that defense has held its own. Um, but uh, it, is a, it is definitely the, probably the hardest road that you can go down conference-wise. Because, you know, you look in the horizon and you see Alabama and you see Georgia. And yep. those are two teams that are, are well, well-rounded well teams that compete just as much as you do, as much, uh, if not more, for the college football playoff. And um, I'm definitely going to stick. I, I would go with your answer, Matt, that they control their own destiny. If you want to play your hardest and win, win the games, then you'll, you'll be there, right? You just have to you have to take it up a level from the last previous years. Now that you have a quarterback that can actually you know play well, and see where you go from there. All right, so we're actually going to do one last question. We're going to leave a few off just because I know John wanted to answer them, so we will carry those into next week's podcast. But the last question we have is from uh, Alehouse Porter. 
And this is actually a pretty good topic that I've actually talked about in with other schools, but he gives Miami of Ohio. Uh, he said, should more schools like Miami of Ohio consider switching to a triple option uh, offense like the service academies? It seems to be the only way to neutralize the size and speed of big-time programs. Alex, what are your thoughts on that? Well, I, I think that if you're a smaller, if you're a smaller size team, quicker team, then you should be running the triple option. You see teams like Navy running it a lot, and Navy's a smaller team. Miami of Ohio has never had uh, a history of, of of good, you know, long long ball and passing and and putting up a good amount of points. But um, I think that's the case with a lot of teams. Um, Obviously, Miami, Ohio does not get the best quarterbacks. They don't get the best recruits. Ben Roethlisberger. Ben Roethlisberger <laughs> about 20 years ago, sure. But um, switching to the triple option is not always the answer for for not having um, productive offenses. It's Maybe it's an offensive coordinator problem. Maybe it's a head coaching problem. Maybe it's a recruiting problem. You never know. I don't personally think that when you see an offense that is unproductive, especially passing-wise like Miami, Ohio, you don't switch automatically to triple option because then honestly i in my opinion your offense becomes pretty predictable um so that's my intake and my input on it um switching the triple option could help miami ohio win some games especially with an a schedule that they play because they are an a conference an a team in an a conference um but switching to the triple option also may not work and you never and i guess there's only one way to find out is to give it a shot or look under the microscope to uh, other options that may be uh, making your offense not as productive as you wish it would be. So I, I think the conception that people have with the triple option teams is that it always boils down to if you're not if you're not as big or you're not as strong that you switch the triple option and you automatically have an advantage because right. you're just going for speed. But you know, you know this particular question brought up the service academies, and if we look at the service academies as a reason why they have to run the triple option. And that's because of the lack of size that they have on the line because they can't have a guy who's six foot eight, 325 pounds because he won't pass basic training. You know, for the most part, guys at Power 5 programs, they're too big to pass basic training. So a school like the Surface Academy, they're guys who are 6'1", 260 on the line. Right. They're quick. You know, they're a big 260. They're quick. So you know, for a school like Miami of Ohio, you know, if they just taking the for example, because that was in the question, but for a school like them or another mid-major who wants to switch over to the triple option, if you're going to do it, you have to do it and recruit quicker linemen. You know, it, Georgia Tech for all those years that they ran the triple option, they had quick linemen who were undersized. You know, but if you're a team who's in the mid-majors and you're not going to get those quick linemen, now you're just a one-dimensional offense without people who can block. Because at the end of the day, you have to control possessions. So if you look at a team like Army, uh, they limit to probably only about three possessions total per quarter. So they're ha they have to capitalize when they have the ball. So they can't have a, a three and out. They can't have it. They have to be able to move the ball. So if you're going to do the triple option, you have to have the you know the correct pieces. Your line has to be quick. It has to be strong. It has to be able to block. You can't just get some 6'2", 285 sloppy Joe from the corner, bring him in and say, hey, I need you to block on the speeds for us because we're going to run the triple option, and then just automatically say, yeah, all right, we're going to do it. You know, you have to have a quarterback that knows how to read, you know, read for, you know, a pitch or when to hold on to it, when to let it go. It's it's not as easy 
as it seems. I think that schools in a power five who can recruit, who struggle offensively, like in my opinion, and people are going to hate me for saying this, I think that Rutgers should have switched to a triple option because they can get talent, they can get athletes, they can get pieces. They're not going to have to worry about you know, not getting guys who can block for that. You know, if you want to do it, I say if, you can, if you're going to be Rutgers and change your offense to compete and you're a smaller size school, uh, you're, you know, you're, you're a small fish in a big pond now in the Big Ten. Run the triple option, get those guys to block for you, or just recruit athletes, air raid my athletes versus your athletes and take your chances. So that's, that's my opinion, triple option. If you're going to switch up, you better do it right. Don't you know do it half-assed so you're going to have flat, sloppy guys blocking for you. And that kind of got me on a little rant talking about the surface academies too. No, but it's a good question though. It's it's kind of weird when you look at it. The Miami Ohio would be that you think that you, that a, a team that's not a service academy would 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 have a better offense. You know, not not bad enough to where it should be a question if they should switch to the triple option. But if you want to run the triple option, you have to do the right recruiting. You have to do the right coordinating. You have to do the right you know playing calling. You have you have to trust your guys and trust that this offense will work in the way that they play. And I think overall Miami Ohio. It's a lot of controlling the game too. Right. It's, like it's, it's really a chess. You game. control the pa- You control the pace of the game, and it's it's really a game of of chess between coordinators and and twenty two guys out on a field. But that is a really good question. All right, so that wraps it up for this week. Uh, before we wrap, finish it up, uh, I just want to ask Alex real quick while we have him on. Uh, right now, who's your four teams in the playoffs? All right. Um, I would probably see. Uh, Alabama, Georgia, Clemson, and and probably Notre Dame. You know, Notre Dame went last year. Clemson went last year. Bama. Um, and I, I I always thought Georgia was, was again, like I've said before a thousand times, a well-rounded team. So these four teams, to me, based off their offense, based off their, off their defense, their special teams, especially with the, the four quarterbacks that I've seen, in this team, uh, in these teams, with uh, obviously Tua, Lawrence, um, uh, I'm sorry, from from in Georgia, and then Cook, I believe, Brooke. Brooke, Cook at Brooke. at Notre Dame. I don't I don't see anybody beating these um, like going against these four teams for the playoffs. I mean, you can throw teams like Texas, Texas in there. You can throw. A maybe, lot of people said Michigan. Maybe Michigan, but that that's like, LSU still. That's in a the far, LSU's number four right now, so you can you, you never know. LSU could be in there and Georgia not. I mean, we haven't even gotten to SEC. Right, conference we're not play. even in SEC play, so LSU could could win the whole conference and and be the number one seed going into the playoff and and Clemson two or Notre Dame three. You never know. That's what the exciting thing about college football is: is that um, you have teams that have different offenses, different play schemes and we just see how they go week to week and how they play up against each other and but for now those are my four picks within the first three weeks uh going into week four my four picks are definitely clemson bama notre dame georgia all right guys that wraps it up for this week uh enjoy the full slate we got definitely some great games to be tuning into and watching uh, if you if you're on the fence about going to a game and you know the money's not there right now and you really need some twenty dollars off uh Code CFBTD at checkout on SeatGeek. We got you guys. $20 off. Go see your favorite team play this week. Uh, Leave us a review. And then next week, tweet us some questions for the podcast. Uh, See you guys next week. Thanks for tuning in.